This is Dale, and I am here with local financial expert, Alan Kinnaird from Walker Crips. Hello, Alan. Hello, Dale. So you're going to talk to us today about some stuff that actually people don't really know too much about, and it's the compensation scheme on bank deposits and how people have been tripped up in the past, essentially. Yeah. So firstly, bank runs. They, they keep happening. Can you explain to me, first of all, what a bank run is? Yeah, quite simply. If you remember the film, It's a Wonderful Life. I do. There was a crisis of confidence in a local regional bank in America. The film's set about that. Um, and basically, people start withdrawing deposits because they have no confidence in the bank or lack of confidence. Um, quite often, it's word of mouth, as in Northern Rock. Yeah. You remember the queues around the block? That was word of mouth. Yeah. Less social media in those days, but word went around very, very quickly, and that's why you got the queues. So it's a lack of confidence in people withdrawing their deposits. That could be retail customers like you and I, um, John Smith in the high street. It could be companies just deciding they don't want to risk their money with that particular fund, but they take money out, and that's that's what causes the, the panic in the, in the bank. So if a lot of people take their money out of the bank, why is that a bad thing? Um, because banks are always meant to have a certain amount of deposits um, called reserves, uh, for a rainy day or to tide them over if there's a sudden crisis in confidence. But if that crisis in confidence is quite large, it can go way past normal levels. So if a bank, for argument's sake, had 10% of its deposits or you know in ready cash that it was able to give out to customers, imagine the panic if somebody asked to withdraw 30%. Right, okay. So if these do happen, and they're going to keep happening, we've had Credit Suisse, Silicon Valley Bank, mm. you know, how can we protect ourselves? Well, a simple way of doing it is just to, first of all, take stock of where you are. Um, my advice to everyone in life who will listen to me is simply take a picture of where you are. And by that, I mean actually determine which bank owns your current deposit. So yeah. you might find that most of the high street banks now are either owned by Lloyds or NatWest. And underneath NatWest and a few others, there's lots of brand names. Um, you need to establish by going onto the FSCS website, that's Financial Services Compensation Scheme, and the FCA website, you need to establish from there who owns your bank. So the worst case scenario is you have three bank deposits. And then after a bit of research, you determine that, or discovered rather, that all three banks' deposits are owned by the one bank. It might be Lloyd's and it might be NatWest. I should also mention, as far as we are concerned, there's nothing wrong with these banks at the moment at all. Yeah. But um, it's good to first draw a line in the sand and establish, you know, which which deposit is where. And if there's... The, the classic scenario is somebody thinks they've got three lots of 85,000 at three different banks. It turns out that all three deposits are owned by the same bank so and, and, you only, and you only get one lot of 85,000. So 85,000 is that magic number, isn't it? Yeah. You know, if, if you have, I don't know, 200,000 in the bank and that bank goes pop for any reason, yeah. Yeah. you'll actually only get 85,000 back as a maximum. Yeah, that's that's the theory. Now, we would hope, as we saw in 2078, UK government would step in again, shore up the bank, return confidence, and there wouldn't be any issues. But there might be a couple of days or a couple of hours where you're absolutely panicking that that's yeah. not the case. And, you know, everyone says, well, UK government will step in, and chances are it will step in. But um, it's not a nice feeling if it, if we had a rerun of, say, Northern Rock, because people were genuinely panic panicking on that. Better day. to be safe than sorry, isn't yeah. it? So, you know, if yeah. you're making sure that you have diversified your money, you've got 85000 in each bank, yeah. as you say, if it turns out they're actually owned by the same person, you're in trouble. The same bank, yeah, absolutely. You're in big trouble. Yeah. Crazy. So how do you find out where your money is, who owns it, and, and you know, what banks you're actually in if there's just if it's just fronted by a, no, a name, essentially? Yeah. So there is a website. I'll send us uh, a note uh, and add it onto the podcast. There is a website you can go to and actually yeah. discover who owns your bank branch. 
Um, if you think about it in brand terms, you know, brand A, brand B, brand C might all be owned by one company. Yeah. And you can quite easily, by just looking at one website, type in your uh, bank name and discover who actually owns that bank, who's the ultimate parent company. And so one quite easy step you can take just to, to make your money safer is just to make sure you know who where it is, who mm-hmm. owns it, mm-hmm. and spread it around to give you the least, least risk yeah. possible. Yeah, if you look at the really well-established families or people who have got a lot of money, over, built up a lot of money over the years, for some reason, I always wondered why, but they always have like three or maybe even five different bank accounts at different banks. And I yeah. think this is one of the reasons that intuitively some of the richer families and the not-so-rich families just felt it's better not just to rely on one institution on one bank. So have you got any other steps you can think of, you know, just quick, easy steps that people could take to, to protect their hard-earned cash? Yeah. yeah, they should look at other things. Like, can I just, you know, aside from spreading it amongst banks that, you know, are truly independent, you could also look at things like UK government bonds, uh, put it with an investment manager. We do a guilt portfolio service for 100000 and above, um, and that's the minimum. And we pick UK government bonds for individuals, and we can get somewhere between 4 and 5% for bonds that mature in one year and those are relatively safe they're rated double a by standard and poor's um so that's one simple way if you had a you know see you had three lots of 85 and you had another eighty-five thousand, and you'd another lot of a hundred thousand why not look at a government bond portfolio and put it there with a, an institution that's nothing to do with your other three banks so why is government bond a safe bet generally um because the government's able to print they repay in sterling um so if you know if you look at ones that mature in a year's time um, you might find that they're priced at 95p and you get back a pound on each pound on each 95p you put in. Um, they're guaranteed by UK government. They've been around like 400 odd years. Um, they're well uh, rated by the credit institutions or credit rating agencies. They're freely easy to trade. So if you sell on a Monday through a stockbroker, you can get your money on the Wednesday. And are they safe against bank runs generally? Generally, there's no magic bullet there. All you're doing, because you're still, if your institution, if your investment platform goes down, your maximum will still be 85,000. But what you've done is created a fourth leg. So if you had three lots of 85,000 with three different banks, you could create a fourth leg with a government bond portfolio and put that on an investment platform. But there's no magic bullet there. You know, if, you're, if, you're, if your investment platform goes down, you're still, your maximum is 85,000 from that investment platform. So are you saying, basically, if you were there to speak to him and it's a wonderful life, he probably wouldn't have jumped? He wouldn't have jumped. No. <laughs> he'd have been fine. He'd have been he'd all right. He'd have been fine. I'd have told them there's a tomorrow. <laughs> like, I don't want people to worry too much about these things. It's just a common sense thing. Just try and not have all your eggs in one basket. And you'd um, say that about anything, wouldn't you, yeah, I guess? You know, yeah. if you're investing and you're looking to the future and but it's all about diversifying. Here's the thing, Dale. We all tend to bank, and I'm as guilty as the next person, although I have moved away from it. I tend to bank with the same bank that I banked with when I was a teenager. So you open your first account. Typically, your mom and dad take you in back in the 70s or 80s and they open an account for you in my day. And that's the bank you stay with pretty much all your life just because they know your face and they know your credit and you get a much better service. But um, those days are gone. People are now more dependent on savings than they ever were because of cost of living. If money um, you know, disappears overnight because of a bank run, it's a major, major problem for people. So... They can't rely on the state to always bail them out. You know? I mean, aside from the, 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 the sort of, you know, 85,000 being the limit thing, so watch out for that with your banks. Is there any other thing that you need to watch out for to, to show that your cash deposits are maybe a little bit too risky? Yeah, that's a great question. So over the years, one recurring theme is, let's just say the going rate, or the, you know, a lot of banks are offering, say, 5% on deposits. 
but you find that that's UK banks. But then lo and behold, you see in the paper or on the radio or on the internet that someone's offering 8% on your sterling deposit, but they're based overseas. Mm. That's a major, major, I'm going to say amber flag. Actually, it's a red flag. You should never get sucked into um, institutions that are paying way, way above the going rate for a deposit. There's normally a very good reason for it. There's normally two good reasons. One, they need the money desperately. Two, they're trying to attract as many customers in a shorter period of time and actually they've got a lot of risk around their, their own balance sheet and that's why they're paying a much higher yield. So you see a high yield on the deposit, instantly think, well, that's way above the average I'm seeing. There must be risks in there. And you can't just say, well, I'll just take a chance because it's your hard-earned cash. You should really start talking to a stockbroker, start talking to an IFA and actually find out what kind of institution is this? How solid is it? I mean, I suppose in finances as in life, you know, everyone wants that get rich quick. I want 100% returns overnight. Realistically, yeah. that doesn't happen, does it? No, it's slow and steady is the way most people have built up sizable wealth. If you think about it this way, at the moment, you could get a 5% return or income on a UK government bond that matures in a year. Um, equities generally somewhere between 5 and 8%, occasionally higher is what you'll get per annum if you go back over decades and century. There are very few... Um, get-rich-quick schemes, and those that are get-rich-quick are normally Ponzi schemes. Where, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Spending everybody else's money to make it look like wealth. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, why is using someone like yourself, you know, an experienced financial advisor, why is that a better choice than, I don't know, shotting your money in a 4% return savings account and leaving it for a year? I think two things. We're a bit like, we're becoming our industry, you know, financial advice, um, stockbroking, investments. It's becoming very much like the personal coaching industry we want people to talk to us at least once a year tell us what their plans are and try and keep them on track um so it's much easier to engage with people than just try it all do it all yourself for five years ten years and then find that you missed a major trick um say you forgot your pension or you forgot to do an isa or you didn't realize that the budget's just occurred and there's extra pension allowances this year so you should check in with you know, it only takes 10, 20 minutes to check in with an IFA or stockbroker to see if your savings and your investments are on track to meet your family's goals. So, you know, think of it as once a year, I'll have a chat, initial chat for 5, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever. And then once a year, I'll make a point of going in and either chatting to my IFA or stockbroker to make sure I'm on track. It's a good way of making sure that everything's taken care of rather than you get to 35, you haven't spoken to anybody you run about and try and do pensions and ISAs all on your own and you make a lot of mistakes. You know, we've been around long enough to see all the mistakes. I mean, I'm not an expert in this stuff at all. And I'll be honest, I don't really understand it. But does it move quite quickly? So, you know, if you have someone in their 50s and in their 30s, they were doing things like a specific pension and an ISA and things like that. Do you find that actually what was right for them then isn't right for them now and and things have moved and progressed and you need to retake a look at these things? Yeah, you need to keep your um, goals on track. So somebody at 30 probably doesn't need a lot of income. Somebody at 50 heading towards 55 and 65 is probably thinking about retirement. So income starts to be really important to them. So at different stages in life, three stages in life, um, you know, early days, you come out of university, you want as much growth as you can get. Probably when you get into your 30s, you've started a family. Um, you probably want a bit of both. Uh, you still want growth, but you want some income. And then when you're hitting or getting close to 55, 65, you're definitely, a lot of people are looking for income. Having said all that, there are people at 65 who just want to still go for growth because they've got so much cash on deposit that those are rare and 
real instances. So everyone's different, same as yeah. everything in life. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, obviously we talked a little bit today about bank runs, how you can protect yourself from them, diversifying, but those are, you know, very simple things that people can do to give themselves a bit of peace of mind, mm. absolutely. But if they want a bit more in-depth, actual, you know, conversations with you around how they can grow their money rather than just protect it, mm-hmm. how can they get in touch with you and have a chat? Well, they can call us on, we're in York, our number's 0203 100 8130, and uh, we're very easy to contact Monday to Friday from um, half eight till five o'clock. So what do you think you can do for people that they can't do for themselves? One of the main things is look at existing investments. So that could be a pension fund, an ISA, and we can look at that and put it through effectively an x-ray machine, uh, for want of a better phrase, and work out what the costs are. So we can look at the costs and decide whether actually this client's paying, say, 1.5% per annum. He should be paying less than 1%. And that small saving of maybe half a percent is enough. Um, and it can mount up because of the compounding effect of investments. It can run, mount up to tens of thousands of pounds over someone's lifetime. Wow. It's, it's a big, big deal. And it's the same for charities. If you save a charity half a percent on its running costs of holding investments and trading, whatever, um, you know, over 10 years, that can run into tens and tens of thousands of pounds, if not 50, 100,000. It can be absolutely huge. At the end of the day, you know, a lot of people think that what you do isn't necessary and they can do it themselves. But I suppose it's the same as anything. Mm. You know, I could plaster my own kitchen, but mm-hmm. I'll get a professional to do it because they've got experience and they know what they're doing and not stop from making mistakes. Yeah. I, you know, build my own wall. And what you do is no different to that, is it? It's, yes, I suppose, in theory, you could do it yourself, but if you want to do it properly to give you the maximum returns over the longest time yeah. in the best way, yeah. it's you, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, you can do it yourself. It takes hours and hours and people just don't have the spare hours it takes. Yeah. Um, they're busy in business. They're bringing up families. And let's be honest, Dale, if you get towards 40 and you're even thinking about early retirement, you really have to start engaging with IFAs or stockbrokers to try and make sure that you're going to have enough income in retirement. Yeah. Because it's not just, oh, I can get enough income to live on. It's, I might live another 20 years. What income will I need after 20 years? So what we find is there is a huge amount of what they call DIY investing to it yourself. But when people hit that 55, there's a lot of people saying, no, hang on, I really need to now make sure that I've dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. I have my pension fund, but I need to make sure it's fit for purpose for the next 20, 30 years. Yeah, I mean, I'm approaching 40 now, and all of a sudden it's just hit me. I'm yeah. terrified. You know, yeah. I've got so you know, 20 years, 25, 30 years of work left. Then what? You know, I sort yeah. of think I think having someone you can talk to, a friendly yeah. face you can speak to, who knows what they're talking about, is such a reassuring thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you're... 35 or 40 and you haven't started a pension, we would say to people, standing orders are your biggest friend in life because that will just come out of your account. You can even start relatively small. You know, you could even start with 10, 20 pound a month. I say to everyone, if you haven't got a pension and you're under 50, goodness sake, start because the government's adding on a credit uh, to that amount that's getting invested. And sometimes that's 20% mm. you know, on top. And that makes a huge difference. So even if you think, oh, I've missed the boat, you know, I've, I've started too late to look at pensions, you know, as long as you're, you know, 40 or whatever, just just start them, you know, engage. Spend that 10 minutes on the call and go see someone. You don't need to do everything on the telephone. You can either do a Zoom call or you can meet someone face-to-face in York and they'll talk you through what your options are. But standing orders into your pension fund, say 10, 20 pound a month, it's starting it is the big thing. Yes, just make it. I mean, it's the old adage, isn't it? The best time to save for your future is when you were 18. The second best time is now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> don't, let it, don't yeah, let it disappear. Because yeah, it can be scary. It can be daunting. It can be intimidating. Especially if you might feel a bit embarrassed that you haven't done it yet. You might feel, well, I should yeah. have done something by now. Yeah. So, you know, you can take all the fear out of that. 
Yeah, because effectively, we quite often see people who are maybe late 40s and they say, look, I haven't, I know intuitively I've not done enough. I haven't looked enough at this area. Please help me because I don't want to spend the next 10, 20 years uh, looking at it. We don't judge anyone. I mean, everyone's uh, time poor. So, you know, a lot of these people are in business, don't have the time to look at it. And we're there to lend a helping hand and make sure that their investments and their pension funds are on track so that they can retire. We're, We're solution fixers, you know. At the end of the day, the client can retire relatively happy with the income they've got. Perfect. So if you think maybe you aren't getting the most out of your money, maybe you think you're not on track to have the money you want when you retire, and maybe you think you just aren't invested in the right place or your money isn't as safe as it could be, if any of those apply to you, do get in touch with Alan Kinnaird at Walker Crips because he really does know what he's talking about. Alan, what was that number last time? 0203 100 